I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here, back with Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We're going to see if we remember how to do this after a brief three-week hiatus. Uh, but Corey and I, uh, we've been out and about. I've been doing a lot of NHL games, and, and we were both at a Michigan game a couple weeks ago watching one of the most interesting prospect teams in the country, in the world, really. And, and, and Corey's uh, already added his draft rankings just come out, just came out, and, and we're going to talk about those uh, today as well. So Corey, how are you doing? Uh, doing well, kind of. We just alluded to, I think, that the last few weeks uh, with with leagues really going all across the world. In terms of, you know, we have all the CHL leagues up and running. Uh, the Ontario Hockey League, thankfully, is is back up and running. You have a full college hockey slate, including the EACAC, uh, coming back with all the Ivy leagues, with the European leagues. So uh, the last couple of weeks for me have, with the NHL and the American League, have just been just watching a, a ton of hockey and. And assessing where some guys are to start the season, and and getting some a, a broad view of the landscape uh, as we get a, a whole new season underway, with some interesting results too on the draft front that I'm excited to to talk about when we get there. But to start off, I, I did want to start with kind of the NHL side of things because you know it, we're we're deep enough into the NHL season now. Most teams played somewhere between eight to ten games. That I think you're starting to see some emerging rookies. You know, the Calder race far from settled, but some emerging rookies that are off to some really hot starts. Yeah, and uh, I think the mo- one of the most interesting teams on that front uh, is the team that you cover on a day-to-day basis in the Detroit Red Wings, where I think we kind of thought that Boris Sider would be a, a top rookie this season. I think it's fair to say that. You know, if you had a range of a spectrum in terms of realistic expectations for him, he it would be more, you know, towards the far positive side in terms of how good he's looked right away. And probably even more than Sider, who, you know, was so good versus men last season, SHL Defenseman of the Year, played great at the World Championships, big, mobile, physical, 20-year-old. Uh, I think you kind of expected him to be at least the minimum of top four defenseman who would help the team this year. Uh, the guy who's really been interesting to me is the teenager, Lucas Raymond, who I thought was good in the SHL last year, and I've always loved as a prospect, but I thought there was even a chance he wouldn't even make the team. And not only is he on the team, he's playing a major role on a team that's 
you know, I'm not going to say they're, you know, a competitive, you know, contending type of team, but they don't look like the pushover they've been in prior years. Yeah, and he's playing a huge role in that. I mean, he's playing on their top line and, and really, I think, playing a key role on the top line. I mean, obviously, it helps to play with your team's two best forwards, and that's what he's doing, playing next to Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi. But he's not letting them do Tyler, all the Tyler work Bertuzzi either. Tyler on some days. Tyler Bertuzzi on, on uh, seven out of the ten days so far. Um, but nonetheless, like, you know, Lucas Raven playing a key role in that. He had a hat trick against Chicago, which was, you'll recall, the same team that he had kind of his – his breakout game against in the preseason. So Marc-Andre Fleury, probably not real happy with Lucas Raymond. But yeah, I mean, both of those guys are, are playing key roles for a team that, you know, I'm not going to call them, like you said, a, a contender, but they are one of the kind of surprise upstarts. They're 500 at, at the 10 game mark. Yeah. And there's, you know, this isn't a team that's like riding like a hot goalie or anything. You know, they're scoring goals. They're, you know, you see a team that can make some plays and, you know, again, are they going to make the playoffs? I'd leave them to know, you know, could they potentially, you know, go a little deeper into the season and give the Red Wings fans some excitement. Uh, I could definitely see that. And I think those two players are a big part of that. And like, and like I said, I think Raymond is the one that's just so interesting. Because I figured with his size, not being a dynamic skater, it, if he might go to the, he might have to start in Grand Rapids. If he starts in the NHL, maybe he's like a third liner. Or he has to kind of take some time to acclimate. But no, he's, you know, first line. I believe he's on the first power play. And you can correct me if I'm mistaken. And nope, it that's just, right. And he just seems like the, the the elite skill playmaking things we've seen with Raymond all of his life has transitioned to the National Hockey League as a 19-year-old. You know, will he be like this point of game guy the rest of the, the rest of the way? I would probably say it's unrealistic. Uh, can he be a guy that can you know play an important role on Detroit and contribute to them winning games? It seems like the answer so far is yes. Yeah, I, I think his sense has been the key of it for me. Like you talk about the elite skill, it shows up for sure. You see him make plays that, that frankly, in Detroit, they haven't seen people make in, in, in a while here, right? Um, and so that, that pops. But to me, the reason he's been as impactful as he has been is his sense. He gets to the right places. He makes plays quick. He doesn't linger, um, trying to make the decision and he's really responsible. And I think that's been key in getting him those opportunities that, that we're talking about is the coaches seem to really trust him. Um, and, and I think that you could even extrapolate that even more with Cider, who's playing 22 minutes a night for the Red Wings, which is just an immense workload. He, the offense, you know, he has scored a goal but he's got eight assists in 10 games and um you know that was what kind of that's been the question with cider since he was drafted right is how much offense is there going to be well he's running power play one right now and and, and you know he's not Hronik off though from that duty well and he's, really he's not nick letty off and because Hronik had, had slid down to the flank and and so um yeah i mean now now you look at where they're set up and it it has often been depending on who's in the lineup and who's not um, Hironic was with Philip Sedina and Nick Letty on the second unit, but we don't need to get into the weeds on that. But the important thing, Cider getting huge role. Yeah, and he like kind of looks like a man out there already. He looks like with with his frame, he looks like a, a like just a veteran NHLer in terms of his physicality, are ready to go with how hard he plays. And you kind of mentioned with Raymond, there, just want to kind of touch on one more thing. It's like the thing with him that's always stood out to me is he he seems to have. In, in speaking to his hockey sense, an ability to take always an extra second to survey the ice. He he really uh, handles pressure well. He kind of you always kind of see him when he's on the power play, um, be able just to hold onto the puck a little extra second, maybe carry it into an, into a space to create a lane. Uh, I think his playmaking ability is exceptional. The other guy whose playmaking ability I think is exceptional is Trevor Zegers, who who when he's been playing uh, with with the Ducks, I found, even though his production hasn't been you know, outstanding, the Ducks games that I've watched, I, I've think he's been a standout in the games I've watched. I, I he created a lot. Uh, you see his really unique uh, hockey brain and, and skill level at work. And you know he was a Calder favorite coming into the season. And if he's able, to, you know, if he's healthy for 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 the season, anything looks like a guy that I think can be right there at the end of it. I think he can win it. And I mean, you know, I, I haven't gotten to watch a ton of Anaheim yet just because it, it doesn't overlap a ton with, with my schedule right now coming back from games. If, if they're not coming through, it's hard to see them. But I did see uh, Dmitry Filipovich posted a video of some of the early season Zegers clips. And I laughed out loud, like watching them. Like, like the stuff that this kid does is ridiculous. And it's been that way since he was 18. But to see it translate against men, it, it just is like you said, a testament to how well he thinks the game, how creative he can be, that this stuff works against the best players in the world. Yeah, I mean, I remember when he was a junior, you see some of him do some of the, 
the craziest and most creative things I've ever seen from from a junior player. Remember, like going to go watch him at a junior game, and he like just would grab the puck from below the red line in the opponent's zone and and flip it over everyone's head to like a guy at the blue line, and just things that you just don't see other players do. And you watch in the NHL, his improvisation skills are are on display every night. And a guy that we thought was a Calder favorite. Uh, you know, we'll see how these things play out. We mentioned Sider, we mentioned Raymond. There's other candidates too, but he looks like he's in the mix. One of the guys that we thought would be in the mix uh, was Cole Caulfield, who is now in the American Hockey League. And I think that goes to show a little bit how uncertain and difficult projections for young players can be. Because this is a guy who was exceptional in college hockey last season. And there's always been, you know, mild concerns with, with the size, not like an elite burner for a guy that size. And, and that's the question to why guys thought, oh, maybe it won't translate versus men. But it did translate versus men. You know, he, he went into the NHL playoffs last season and was a top player for a team that went to the Stanley Cup final. Was that Stanley Cup final a little bit of a mirage? You know, you know, maybe, maybe not. I think they, they still got there. They beat some good teams along the way. Uh, and, and then the next season rolls around, and he's not really accomplishing a whole lot. Uh, you know, Montreal as a whole is struggling, and he's one of the few players there who they had the option to send down, maybe to create a different lineup. I don't think he'll be down there for too long, if I had to guess. Um, but that's obviously on the maybe the more negative side of of the projection that he's been one of those stories. Another one. I mean, this guy's not a rookie, I guess necessarily, but Alexi Lafreniere. I think that I was at least expecting a pretty clear step forward from him, um, the number one overall pick from, from 2020. And I guess I can't say I've seen every New York Rangers game, but from what you've seen, I mean, to me, it doesn't necessarily seem like that step has, has arrived yet. Yeah. Just I've watched him uh, these men, the Rangers games and he doesn't look bad, but he does. He looks like ordinary good prospect. He, he looks like, you know, if you had like a mid to late first guy who was playing in the league as a 20 year old, he kind of looks like that right now. Uh, and which I think he's much better than that. I still think he's a top young talent. I think if you put him on the open market right now, the Rangers would fetch a very high price. Uh, but it, his skating is not amazing. And you can get away with that in the National Hockey League. There are many great players in the NHL who are not great skaters. But it just seems like when I watched him in junior, I thought the skill level was exceptional. I thought his hockey sense was exceptional. You know, I thought he was a dangerous goal scorer. I thought he was highly physical and competitive. And I think that last part has been apparent in the games I've watched to an extent. But I just don't see anything dynamic about him right now. It might be a lack of confidence. It, it might Maybe I overrated the skill. Maybe it's just a sample size thing. Time will tell. Uh, but... I'm not being blown away by him on a talent level right now when I've watched Rangers games. I mean, the goals do seem like they're coming here. I think he's on pace for close to 25 goals as, yes. as we sit today. And that would be a really good season, you know, but to your point, it's it's an overall thing. And if we want to play the, I mean, it's very early to play the, the, the pace game, but it would still be only 32 points or so, right? 33 points. Yeah. You know, we'll see how happens or, or 82 game season. Like I, said, I still think he's a very good player. You know, if you had a, 20 year old who was on pace for whatever amount of goals and points he was on, a, and he was a mid first round pick. I think you'd be very happy with that. But more is expected of a first overall pick. More is expected of a guy who was an exceptional junior when he was a first overall pick. So, you know, it's a balance. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, he's a bad player. I don't think that at all. I think much better days are ahead for Alexi. Um, but the, a lot of the things we saw in his first year have carried over to his second year and I'm not seeing much progression in him at the current moment at the NHL level. It doesn't mean as he physically matures and figures out how to create and make skilled plays in an NHL pace that that won't come with time. Let me ask you this. Jack Hughes is a guy who to start this season, I, I think had been exceptional before he got injured. And in the first two years, I think it was a little bit of a longer curve for, for Jack to get up to speed. Lafreniere, where he stands today, where his game is today versus Hughes in the first month of his second season in the NHL. Um, similarities, differences, one one clearly ahead of the other? Yeah, I mean, Jack popped a little bit at the beginning of that second season, then he kind of he, he tailed off there a little bit. Uh, I think with, with, you know, 
different issues with them with Jack. It was more of a size thing. Can he finish with with Lafreniere? It's it, it's Lafreniere's issues. I think are a little bit more interesting to me, um, and maybe a little bit more concerning because he's a winger, and I think in the National Hockey League, their you know centers are viewed more as a, as a premium. And I think you'd be okay with a first overall pick who's a center not being exceptional as long as he's a very good player. If Lafreniere does not show some exceptional abilities on the wing, I can see why you start to become concerned as to what kind of value he really brings to an organization. And certainly uh, never a question about Jack Hughes' skating. One of the guys I wanted to ask you about, though, is a guy who I don't know that I was expecting to make the New Jersey Devils this year. And not only has he made them, he's come in and he's made an impact. And that's Dawson Mercer. Why has Mercer been able to come in and, and have the start that he's had? I think he's just a really well-rounded player for, for the most part. I think you know he has, he has a great work ethic. You see, even at a young age, from the preseason through the regular season, he's able to win a lot of battles. He has good size, but he works really hard. He has a lot of good details in how he approaches his game on an all-around basis. He's a smart player. He can make plays. He's uh, And he has offensive touch. He has the hands to, to kind of create through opponents. He can score goals. Uh, the feet have always been a concern with Mercer. I still don't think he's a great skater, uh, but it just seems like everything else in his game is so strong. And because he does play center, it's provided them some value at a time where they, they've kind of, with, with Jack out, they've needed some center depth, and he's provided that and more, I would say. The center thing's been a bit of a differentiator in, in the thing I'm about to ask you. But um, to me, when I've watched him, I get kind of Tyler Bertuzzi flashes from him. And I, and I know that Bertuzzi certainly was not doing this in the NHL at this age. So it, it's it's possible that Mercer's obviously have an, an even better trajectory there. But do you see anything to that comp in terms of a guy who's who's tough, he's, he's gritty, but he's also obviously skilled and smart? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think Mercer is very competitive and tough. I don't know. I think Bertuzzi's toughness can look a little different. At times, mm-hmm. um, but I think Mercer's. Like I said, I think he's a really well-rounded player, um, and I think I'm not shocked to see him make it. I thought he was, you know, always a really strong prospect. You know, I thought he made a 50-50 guy to make the NHL. It, was, it ended up between between him and Holtz, who both had strong camps. But uh, Ty always goes to the center um, when it comes to NHL teams, and uh, doesn't surprise me to see that he's that he made the team and. And has found some success so far. How about out in San Jose, where they have a, a ton of rookies who I think are, are in the lineup and, and starting to factor in? I mean, obviously, William Eklund, the, the pick from this year, um, is in there. But also Jonathan Dolan as a rookie. And I think Ryan Merkley started to get some games now. How much Sharks have you been watching? You know, a decent amount because, you know, especially the last couple of games because they had, you know, the, the COVID issues and they had to call up a good chunk of the Barracuda there. And they've had a, a very young lineup. You know that William Eklund. William Eklund had some good games, some some more mediocre games, um, but in general, for an eighteen-year-old, he's been able to definitely more than hold his own because he's such a, a dynamic skater. Um, he's able to create some offense and do some things out there. Uh, you know, he's been interesting for me. Jonathan Dallin for me has been the more interesting story, though. Uh, for people who may not know the backstory, he was a Vancouver draft pick. Uh, not, no, sorry. He was an Ottawa draft pick, and I think he was traded to Vancouver, and then he was traded to San Jose. And he came over to North America a couple of years ago, and wasn't all that good. That, that kind of led to the to the trade. Um, and then he went back to Sweden, where he was awesome in the hockey. Osvenskin, he has a 21, 22 year old, put up like seventy points something each year, huge numbers. But it was the Osvenskin, so you know maybe it wasn't the SHL. And then, you know, he's been a top-line forward for San Jose since he started this season. And it looks like this really skilled, smart player who can score. Uh, my concerns on him have always been that I thought he was a bit of a wonky skater, particularly for a player his size. I wondered if the way he played would translate. I I didn't think it would. Early on, I have been wrong. Uh, he's looked like he's been an important player for a Sharks team. That kind of like Detroit has been surprisingly competitive to start the season. Uh, you know, it looks like a team that at least has a chance, you know, especially, you know, maybe in a weaker Pacific division to at least be in a playoff hunt deeper into a season. And, uh, and yeah, and you mentioned Merkley. Um, I, I, didn't, I haven't watched a ton of his Barracuda games, but the, the one and a bit games that I did, I thought he looked really good. And the reports out of 
Barracuda games were very good, and uh, I watched a little bit of their game yesterday versus Buffalo, and I thought he was not only did he score, but I thought he looked really good, creative, moved the puck really well, did the ozone stuff they're used to seeing from him from junior hockey. Uh, so I think Sharks fans, you know, to go with even a guy like Hataka who had strong camp, um, are probably you know quite pleased with the progress of some of their young players right now. All right, and then I want to go to three three quick ones. We can do kind of a speed round here. Um, sure. I got to see a little bit of Bowen Byram on a national game the other day, and he already looks very comfortable, very poised. The skating was very fluid. Um, why is Bowen or where is Bowen Byram at for you right now, and kind of why has he been able to, to step in and play a big role for Colorado? Yeah, I was talking about this with Peter, our, our Colorado writer, the other day. I mean, I think he's in the Calder mix right now. I mean, yeah, you saw like he's playing on the top pair right now with uh, with McCarr. Well, the, you know, obviously, I think Gerard was out for a little bit. We'll see what how what. What they go with the lineup when everybody's healthy, but uh, I I think his skating is is dynamic. He shows offensive playmaking ability. I think he's a competitive player who can defend. Um, I think you know I would mention him right there with with Cider. I mentioned him there right there with Jamie Drysdale uh, for the top young defensemen that are in in the rookie race right now. And all those games are not all those names are not surprises, um, but they've been as good as advertised. I've thought this season, and I think. Particularly Byram, in a, in, I would mention him differently than, than Sider and, and, and Drysdale, not because he's a better player, because we expect Colorado to do things this season. They haven't won as much as we expected, but we expect them to do things this season, and I expect him to be in the playoffs this season and playing a notable role. And and, and I think that's not an, an unrealistic thing to expect based on what I've seen from him as a, as a young player and now this season. Already playing 20 minutes a night for the Avs. Uh, Anton Lindell, five points in five games for the Florida Panthers. And, and this is a guy who, you know, for he started, I think, kind of more as can, being considered a potential top five pick in his draft year. And it, he ended up sliding into the early into the, into the early teens. He's bounced right back, it seems like, to being right back in that mix, right around yeah. the top five of that class. Yeah, top five, top seven. You know, there were you know, other good players there, including, yeah. Luke, including Lucas Raymond, who we've already, already discussed. And, um, and I believe Drysdale. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been, he, obviously they have a deep team, so I don't know if he's going to get the prime offensive minutes like some of these other rookies are, but he is scoring still. When I've watched their games, I thought he's worked really hard. He's been able to win battles, provide some nice two-way value from them. I don't know if he's going to be in the Calder mix, but I think he can be a part of why Florida is a contender this season. I'm not comparing him to this player, but I cannot imagine a better player for Anton Lindell to be learning from than Alexander Barkov. I just think that's a, a fit made in heaven. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. You know, both, both being both finished centers, both similarly sized. Barkov, like Lindell, was both was criticized for his skating coming up and both have been excellent men. I think the skill level with Barkov is obviously several, it's a couple notches higher, but there are some vague similarities, not only because of their, their finished backgrounds, but also in their play styles. And you just, you would imagine that Lindell looks up to Alexander Barkov. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I would no, wager to guess it. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Arthur Kaliev and, uh, and then we can really throw Rasmus Kapari into this too, the, the, yep. the two rookies with the Kings. Uh, anything there? Yeah, I mean, I think Kings fans were going into the season hoping for some young players to really step up and provide some value. And, you know, Kaliev, I thought, started off a little bit slow, but he's picked up a little bit here, you know, as season has gone on, as they've had, you know, had to move some guys in and out of the lineup for various reasons. Um, you know, his skating pace is not ideal for the NHL, but I think he shows when he has the puck on his stick, he can move it around well. He can, you know, he creates scoring opportunities. And I think Kupari's probably been the one that's been the most promising from the games I've watched because his skating is a real strong point and he has some offensive touch. Uh, that I think uh, he's the one that steps that you're seeing him take, particularly after it looked like he was having a really slow start to his North, to his North American pro career when he first came over as a 19-year-old. Uh, that's been quite promising, I think. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's jump back in. And we are going to get to the draft rankings in a second. I know that is what uh, there are certainly some fan bases out there who are already in need of that. Um, But I did want to start with, with a bunch of the guys who are at the very top of the last draft all playing together at Michigan. You and I were both at um, we were both at the Thursday game. I think you went back for the Friday game against Wisconsin, right? Yep. Yeah, and I think they actually lost the second game. But the game that I was at uh, was a clinic. Kent Johnson, I thought, was outstanding. Luke Hughes really caught my eye in that one, and, and Owen Power with, with a two-point game. Um, I think, you, by and large, you're seeing what you wanted to see from a lot of these guys, including that kind of continued step forward from Brendan Brisson. Yeah, and you know I've watched a good chunk of, of Michigan games uh, so far this season just because whenever they play, it's like watching a world junior team. So there's a lot of value to, to learn from, from every match they're a part of, especially if there's an opponent on the other side who has some NHL prospects. Um, you kind of mentioned, you know, a lot of the big names there. Uh, you know, I thought Ken Johnson in that one game was excellent, which I thought was really good to see because I think that line uh, with him and Veneers have had some good games. I thought Veneers was good in that game. I thought they've also had, I would say, for both being top five picks, I think you'd hope for just a little bit more from them over the course of the season. I think they're both kind of sitting a little around like a point of game level right now. I, I could be off on the, the exact number. Um, but I think from both of those guys, like I said, they both looked really good, but I think you, you hope for a little more. And, and that Thursday game, uh, I thought Ken Johnson showed you what he can do when he is at the top of his game, which was just showing consistent uh, ability to create scoring chances uh, with his great uh, skill and, and and creativity. Well, it was interesting to me because last year when I would watch that line, they, they were a line last year as well. And last year, I really felt like Beniers was driving the bus for that line. I thought he was he was the key puck carrier. And, and obviously, Kent was making amazing passes and finishing plays. But I really felt like that was a Matt Beniers driven line last year. And I still am a big believer in Matthew Beniers. At that game on Thursday, I really felt like Kent Johnson was was dictating a lot, and he was not just you know finishing a player making the pass. You know, he he was hunting, and and he was really in control to me. It felt like on the ice. Yeah, and I love Matthew Beniers, but it's also fair to say I think he he hasn't found his game so far this season. I thought that one game was one of his better games, but I think for for so far this season, probably Johnson has outplayed Beniers so far, and I think he probably needs to get to get it going a little bit. You know, the two best players for me from when I've watched Michigan have been Owen Power, not surprisingly first overall pick, and Luke Hughes, the uh, the fourth overall pick by New Jersey. I thought actually his the game on Friday versus Wisconsin was one of, if not his worst game of the season. Um, but generally, when I've watched Michigan, I thought he's been very, very impressive. I think it's you know anybody anybody can kind of watch that game, his games there, and and see his skating ability stand out on a very consistent basis, but I've thought he's fine-tuned some of the issues he might have had from his program days. Uh, I think he's making skilled plays without making dumb plays. I think his defense, he's defending you know, good enough to take advantage of his offensive abilities with his in terms of his skating and skill level. Um, so I think that's been quite promising to see if you're a New Jersey fan. Um, and Owen Power, I think, has just been a lot of what you always expected – uh, you know, six six mobile guy who can make some plays. Is he the most dominant college player I've ever seen in my life? You know, no. You know, he's not. Doesn't look like Jack Eichel out there or anything like that. Um, but I think you know he's a guy that's you know you can very easily argue he's the best defenseman in the country, and I think you would expect that as a first overall pick. Um, yeah, and you kind of mentioned Bresson. Um, the, the late first-round pick by Vegas, he's definitely taking some steps this season. There's still some concerns as a smaller guy who is not a burner, uh, but I think you are seeing him being a big part of their offense. He's playing the flank on their first power play unit and doing a lot as a shot threat, but also as a as you know he's able to make move it well. He's showing 
you know, great individual skill. Um, he is accomplishing more than he was last year. Kind of to your point, where you know when you said Beniers drove that line, not Ken Johnson. I thought last year, you know, Bordalo kind of carried Brendan Brisson a little bit. I don't feel like that's been the case so far this season. Okay, let me let me uh, steer you into the into the land of the speculative here for a moment because this is a thought that I've had over the past couple of weeks. Um, Vegas thought to be a team that's in on. Jack Eichel, Vegas is the team who owns the rights to Brendan Bersan. Buffalo, a team by having by virtue of having Owen Power and Eric Portillo, certainly going to be very familiar with Brendan Bersan. If you are Kevin Adams in the Buffalo Sabres, how intrigued are you with Brendan Bersan as a potential piece if there were to be, and I say if, if there were to be a Jack Eichel deal there? Yeah, I mean, there were some Buffalo people at the game we were at. I think I saw Kevin Adams' name in, in the credential line. Um but uh, I think he would definitely be a piece. Is he the main piece? Probably not. I think you're still probably talking about Peyton Krebs or Nick Haig as the main pieces. But he's definitely a guy who can be an important part of that transaction. I don't think he's lit, risen his play to the level that he would be the a, a piece you build a trade around, though. I would agree with that. I think more of as a secondary piece, but but as a player to me, where you know, I, I think you can see a top nine wing there for sure, and 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 a guy who can help your power play. And to me, you you add that into a piece uh, into a deal. Sorry, you should yeah. say that's interesting. Yeah, he actually reminds me a lot of Victor Olafson, who who plays on the Sabres. I think there's a lot of similarities in in how they play. Um, so maybe maybe there's some redundancies there. I don't know. I I actually don't know Olafson's contract status off the top of my head. But uh, that's the one that comes to mind as a, as a comp for, for Brisson. In any Jack Eichel trade, we expect there to be, uh, we would guess there would be some kind of 2022 first round draft pick involved. And so uh, without further ado, let's finally get into the 2020 draft. You had your uh, most recent 2022 draft rankings come out this past week. And while he's still number one, I was uh, sensing a little bit of, uh, I get not, not, not skepticism or anything like that, but just maybe a decrease in exuberance, I guess I would say, about Shane Wright. Yes, and I still think he's an, an excellent prospect. He's the first overall. I think he'll be, as if the draft happened tomorrow, I expect he'd be the first overall pick. Um, I think any team that would draft him would be extremely excited to get him. Uh, but I've watched most of Kingston's games uh, so far this season. And while I think he's looked good, I wouldn't say you've watched these games and just been amazed by Shane Wright's play. And I don't think he is that kind of player. I've watched Shane Wright for a couple of years, and I think there are some really exceptional parts about his game, but I don't think, you know, he doesn't play the game, not to comp him to these guys, but he doesn't play the game like Nathan McKinney. He doesn't play the game like like Austin Matthews. He, he's, or, or, or McDavid, he doesn't, like, he doesn't have those kinds of, he's not an elite, elite skater. He doesn't have the greatest uh, skill level in the world, like, like like a Patrick Kane or something like that. That's not what his game is. He's his game is being very well rounded. It's having an extremely high compete level, and it's having. And I think his shot, you could argue, does rise to that exceptional level. So you know, that's it's why you know I think when you talk when I, when we had him on the podcast, he compared himself to like Patrice Bergeron. And I Correct. whenever I talk to NHL scouts. That's a name I hear. I hear Ryan O'Reilly's name thrown around, maybe like a moment Ryan O'Reilly plus even sometimes being used as a comp. Um, and I think that's, you know, kind of the land of reasonable expectations to put around him. With that being said, I still think even though he isn't – I think he's very skilled. I don't think it's out of this world skill. I think you still expect more than a point a game from a guy 10 games into his OHL season. I think those points will come. I think he's had a lot of chances and they're just not going and those things – will even out over time. Um, you know, I think you can, I, I remember when I said Cole Perfetti in his draft year wasn't getting it going. And then the second half, he went on, on an absolute tear and it was like two points a game or something in the second half. You know, I, I expect at some point Shane Wright will go off, but so far this season from watching him, I have not been, I would say blown away by his performance and by just watching his gameplay. But, but we still like him as a solid number one overall right now. As things stand. Yeah. Yes, he would be, you know, he would be, I would say, comparable to Owen Power going into the draft last season, who I think was an average first overall pick. Average not meaning bad, average meaning average. 
I, I sometimes get some blowback from our readers when I call somebody average. <laughs> average um, meaning <laughs> NHL average, which is really, really good. <laughs> yes, right. Um, yes, I've had to learn to be careful of my words in, in recent months about that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I, I think Shane Wright would be an average first overall pick right now. We'll see how the rest of the season goes right now. Um, but it's only been eight, nine games. I'm not throwing out what I've seen from him from many years based on eight, nine games. But it is new information, and it hasn't been good new information. So the rest of the way here, I don't know how how deep you want to go kind of blow by blow. I mean, I, I, I would say let's kind of talk about these as tiers because in tier two, you have two guys. You have... Ivan Miroshnishenko, who I think had, had at one point kind of seemed to, to really rise up as the as the favorite for number two, and, and in his tier you have Logan Cooley, who's, who's the center from the development program. We've talked about him extensively um, on the show in the past. I think people will be familiar uh, with him. What what made that a, a cutoff as a tier behind those two players? Yeah, I mean, I thought me Miroshnishenko. Um, I think has just about every asset you want in an NHL winger. You know, the only thing that you criticize him for, in my opinion, is that he's not a center. I think he's an NHL skater. I think he has great individual skill. I think he can see the ice well. He has a really good shot. He is competitive. He's physical. Uh, I, I think he endears himself to, to coaches really well. Uh, you know, I don't think he's a game breaker in any one sense. I don't think his any his anything about his game that's elite, but. I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of assets there that I think you can say you know you have a decent chance to play at the top of an NHL lineup, be a first line winger, uh, because of all of these things you do really well and how well you've done over a long period of time. Um, Logan Cooley, I actually just went to go watch him live uh, last week and I didn't think he was all that good to be quite honest. And he's he's actually gone off to a little bit of a slow start with the US in in, in the season, not like. Not like that slow, but like hasn't killed it, particularly in his USHL games. But when, when I watch him, I see a center who has, other than size, kind of like Mirosuchenko, has all the assets. Great skater, great skill, very creative offensive playmaker, works his tail off. Um, I think there's a lot of assets there, even as an undersized center, to become a really good NHL center. Particularly because of the of the skating and the compete level, to go with pretty good offense. I don't know if he's going to be the most dynamic offensive player, but he's. I think it's you know it's definitely at the top of this draft class. Uh, and for those reasons, I, I I have those guys as kind of a tier above because I think they have kind of all the assets that you, that you want. I think when you kind of start going down the line here, I'll start picking players apart a little bit more, and I, I can start doing it right now. Like I said, I think Cooley's going to have to want to get it going a little bit sooner after what I thought was. Excellent under excellent underage season, excellent World Junior camp, um, and he's about to go play international hockey in about a week or so. You know, I expect he'll do great there, but if he doesn't, it'll be a little concerning. Um, but so far, I think him and Mirosochenko have the attributes to to be a, at least a half tier above some other guys. All right, so, so then the next tier of guys is is it is a tier of three, and that's uh, this is kind of your projected top of the lineup tier. It's David Juracek from the Czech Republic, Yuri Slavkovsky, who's playing in Liga right now, and Joachim Kimmel, who's playing in Liga right now. I, I don't want to fixate too much on the guys who aren't in this tier, but you know, I think a lot of people by this point are expecting to see names like Brad Lambert and Matthew Savoie, names that were um, you know years out, kind of in this conversation um, for this draft. What did these three players do to put themselves above some of those names that we've been hearing for years? Right. We'll talk about Savoy and, and Lambert maybe right after, but let's talk about these three for a second, especially since um, Savoy, uh, Lambert is teammates with Kamel. Kamel, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Yerichek, um has been really good to start the year. He's got, I think, like four goals and 10 points, something in 18 games versus the, in the top Czech men's league as a defenseman. Um, he kind of, like I said, once you start going a little bit further down, you start picking guys apart. I think his skating is not like amazing, but I think he's big, he's skilled, he's physical. He can, I think he can move the puck. He can shoot the puck really well. There's a lot of two-way value there for a defenseman with who's 6'3", 6'3 and a half, um, who's a right shot guy, who's showing this well versus men already. Um, the skating is the area that concerns some scouts, uh, but I think there's a lot of positives there. Um, I believe he's going to go play uh, with the Czech men's team uh, in next week. So it'll be really interesting to see how he does uh, at that level because he's not not playing with the U20 team. 
Uh, Slavkovsky hasn't really done a whole lot this season, to be quite honest, from with with, with his Liga team. But I think that's one of those you have to have a very kind of like an asterisk next to him when it comes to the pro level guys. You kind of saw this with Lucas Raymond in his draft season, for example, in that T- uh, TPS has been outstanding to start the year. I think they, they, they're the top team in the league. I think they're like, uh, I think they've lost only five of their 18 games so far. Um, and so it's, it's been tough for him to get prominent ice time in that lineup. But I think you saw the Holinka Gretzky, for example. You know what? When he's playing and getting real opportunities, that this is a guy who has a lot of assets. I think the only you know he's big, pretty good enough skater, pretty skilled, can shoot it, competes. There are some scouts who would argue to me that he should be with Mirosochenko. He should be with Cooley uh, because he has all the assets. His production worries me a little bit this season, particularly as a winger. Um, why he isn't there? But I think that he's a guy that has a lot of ability to be a really good NHL winger. And and Yo and Yoakim Kamel to me, you know, when you really start going down the list of the of the 04 age group of the late 03s, there's a really small number of guys who, in my opinion, I some people might dispute this, are actually having like standout seasons. Like guys you're like, oh holy holy hell, like they're they're tearing it up right now in the respective league. Um it's a very small number. I think you could argue your checks in there, but the the guy who you the first name that comes to mind for anybody is Kamel, who's at times been the leading goal scorer and I think at times the leading point scorer in Liga at some points during this season as a, as a 17-year-old. He's been outstanding, and I think his team, JYP, I did not expect him to be good this season, but they've actually been okay. And I think the play of Kamel is is a big reason why. I mean, they're still kind of towards the bottom of the standings, but, but I think he's... Sh- been so good versus men, risen to a top role on a, on a Liga team, and scoring a lot. Uh, the only reason why I wouldn't have him like at the first, second overall part of, of my list is is I think while he's a good skater, he's not like an elite elite skater, um, like like a guy like say Cooley is, and he's not like that big either. Like he's not like small. He's like I think he's like five eleven and a half, six zero. Like not small, but not huge. So, you know, minor variables, but he's got great skill. You can shoot it, great hockey sense. Like he's a very intriguing player who I think is performing as well as you could have asked someone to perform in the early parts of this season. I mean, to that point, like just to give people context here, the the record for a U18 player, according to Elite Prospects, for goals in a season in Liga is belongs to Capocacco, who had 22 in 45 games a couple years back. Before that, it was Barkov, who had 21. Kamel, in 16 games, has 12 goals. So he is already more than halfway to that record in like a third of the games. Like it is the, the pace here is crazy, and it, it started out that way. And I, I think I'm just waiting for it to slow down, and it hasn't. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't have him in that top five, top three-ish area. But, you know, if he even like keeps, like even looks close to as good the rest of the way here, you're going to start having discussions about that. Like, hey, maybe he should be top three. Like, hey, like if Shane Wright doesn't start turning it around, you start having that conversation. Maybe not today, but maybe after if the World Juniors come and – Kamel plays and he's really good and and Wright isn't. I think you're going to start hearing you're going to start hearing those whispers a little bit. I'm going to read you a line from your report on Kamel. You said Kamel shot as a weapon, but he's not perimeter and can generate chances with his physical effort. When I hear that, one of the things that comes to my mind is kind of how I thought of Alexander Holtz in his draft year. What's the difference or similarity between Kamel and Holtz at the same age? I think he's a better skater. And I don't think he is quite as like perimeter based in his offense. I think he can create more in the interior uh, than Holtz does because of his because he is faster. And I think there's a little bit more grit in his game. But Holtz has shown so far that he's been obviously off to a really good start this season in versus pros, and he might be showing that he might be uh, working on some of the kinks of his game too. All right. All right. Now we're going to move into the next tier, which is, is where we're going to find those names, Savoy and Lambert, as well as Connor Geeky, uh, as well as Simon Nemec, a defender in Slovakia, as well as Danilo Yurov from Russia, and a name that is kind of moving up, I, I believe, in my understanding, this Nathan Gaucher from the QMJHL. I really like him as an underage. I think so far this season, he's been pretty good, not amazing. His case, kind of like a guy like 
like Slavkovsky and like Geeky to an extent is that he plays on a very deep Quebec Ramparts team. Geeky plays on a very deep Winnipeg Ice team. I don't think either of them are on the top power play units. So there is some context in that they're both around a point of game right now. But I think both of them are excellent prospects. You know, we could, let's talk about Lambert. Let's talk about Savoy for a second. Yep. Uh, Lambert uh, has some dynamic assets in this draft class. Like his skating is near the top of the draft class. He, his skating is is a weapon, and he's a very skilled player. Uh, but he's gone off to a tough start this season, and I think that trajectory has been something that's been true for about the last 12 months. He started off really well the first half of last season. He made the finish one junior team. I thought he was very good at the World Juniors. And then the second half of the season, I thought his play tailed off a little bit. I thought his U18 world was quite underwhelming. And just to start this year, he's, he's had a hard time getting it going. He had a point as we record today. Um, I don't want to like tear the guy down because I think he is a – very dynamic skill, speed combination type of player. Um, there are concerns on whether he, you know, is too perimeter. I think there are reasonable concerns on how many plays he, he has made so far at the legal level and other levels people have watched him at. Um, I, I still think he's a very strong prospect, but, you know, the top three, top five discussion is not something I'm hearing from many NHL scouts with him right now as opposed to where he was 6 to 12 months ago. What did Gaucher do to, to move himself up in, into this mix? Uh, well, he's been there for me, I think, and for a lot of scouts for, for, for going back to his underage year, a 6'3 center who competes really well, uh, can win a lot of battles you know, in the hard areas of the ice. There is some skill in playmaking. Skating's just okay. You know, We kind of talked about Mercer earlier in the show, and I don't think he's as skilled as Mercer, but like when you talk about that really well-rounded two-way center with with some size, righty shot, um, I think that gets a lot of scouts excited. Will he stay top fifteen? I think he may, he may need to score a little bit more going forward to, to maintain that. It's still a long season left to go. Um, but I think there, you know, whether it's top fifteen, top twenty, I think he's definitely in that mix right now. Don't just ride the index; seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com/slash/active-ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services LLC, Member NYSE SIPC. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, Corey, are you ready to transition into the mailbag section today? I always love a mailbag. All right, let's do that then. And and to start off, let's start with this one because it has really been the story in the hockey world for the last couple of weeks. And, and we've had some excellent coverage of it on the other days of the Athletic Hockey Show that I would really encourage people to go check out. Some really good stuff from Katie Strang, from Mark Lazarus. Um, but this one's from Lindsay, and I think this is an interesting one. She says, hey, Corey, I know you've always been cautious in how you weigh supposed character issues in your assessments. was wondering if you've reflected even further on that having now heard Kyle Beach's story and knowing he was tagged with those kind of labels when he was coming up. Yeah. I obviously a, a very good question from Lindsay, uh, you know, given the events of the last week or so. Um, and I, I'm not going to, you know, kind of do respect to you know, Kyle Beach and the story. I'm not going to kind of go into the things that might've been said about him as, as a prospect uh, coming up or, or talk about his skill set. Um, but, but, you know, there's definitely some accuracy to, to what, to what Lindsay said and, and some of the things that were said about him and, and, and why he didn't work out as a prospect. Um, character stuff is the interesting part of this business, uh, because I do think there is importance to it. You know, I've talked to enough teams that, you know, have told me that, you know, and this is not like in hindsight, they would say coming up, like, Hey, this guy is there's some issues here and all this guy is a great kid. He's going to do it. And you see enough correlation from that over the years to know there is something to that. Um, 
So I think it's a very important part of what teams do in terms of their their, their interview process, their research process. Um, but from a public perspective, from a media perspective, that's the stuff that I always think you have to be really, really careful with. Um, because when you're breaking down a player, when you're saying like, hey, he's a yay skater, yay puck skills, this size, you know, he's this physical, you know, I think most of us like kind of under, have an understanding of, of what we are as, as athletes. You know, if I think we know if we're fast or slow, we know if we're, if we have the quick twitch or not to, to make certain kind of skilled plays, we know if we're a tough player or not. But I, I think when you see something being written that a guy has bad character, you know, that, that, that's an attack of a person to their core, essentially. Um, and it's, it's hard to, you know, dispute that. And it's hard, I think, even harder for players to shake that label as they grow up. Um, and there are definitely, I think, many examples that I've heard over the years of, of players who have been dinged with bad character at 17 or 18 years old or 19 or 20, whatever. And they didn't pan out and teams attribute in part the reason why to that. But there are also examples of kids who have turned it around and led successful NHL careers. And I find that when you are dinged with the bad character label, the, 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 the thing that I, I struggle with, and I think a lot of, you know, you know, players and agents and, and those people struggle with is like, what, where does the person go to get the reputation back? How do they, like, what do they have to do? How do they, how do they shake that label? So I'm always very careful, I think, in my writing to not write that. I hear these things and I at times incorporate it into my analysis, um, but I'm very careful not to write that because I don't think it's personally I – don't, I don't think it's professional to be quite honest um, unless there is an incident that is so clear and obvious that it rises to the level of you have to acknowledge it. Um, yeah, you, know, you know whether it's you know, you know, for example, like the Mitchell Miller Logan Mayu incidents, so on and so forth. I also think it's interesting. I mean, when I would hear that word, my mind would immediately go, "That could mean so many different things." That could mean, you know, they're concerned about his work ethic and how much he wants to spend in the gym. It could mean maturity issues. It could mean inter-team issues, and it could mean off, like very, you know, big off the ice issues, like the ones you're alluding to. And that, to me, is kind of the the biggest problem I have with the term like character issues, because it could mean any of these things that are on such different scales for the, the practical implication for, well, a, really a number of different things. Yeah. And like, you know, it, and I've heard it being used in the context of like, he's a terrible person. I would never want him on my team. And I've heard it used in the context of, I don't think he takes the game seriously enough. I don't think he puts in the work. Um, I don't think he has the inner drive to become a great NHL player. I don't think he has the ability to handle failures. Um, and those are all real concerns, but they mean different things. And you can use that, um, and you can use that line of thinking on like skating and hockey sense. You can say, oh, well, what is skating could mean, you know, side speed to side edges. Agility. Yeah. But there's a difference in, in this with this particular term, because like I said, I think, it's it's a, it's a, it's a comment on the player as a person and i just i think with that stuff we should always be very careful and you know you know like i said i i i don't want to get into talking about Kyle Beach you know with due respect to you know what what he's gone through and and the the story is not about that um but that's something that i i always think about it i would urge um Anybody who, who would be listening to just not to not ever write about that stuff because it is an important part of player evaluation in all sports, um, but just to be very careful. I, I just that's, – that's the only thing that I, I would take away from that. I think that's really well said. Apologies because it's a crude transition. There's no non-crude transition, uh, you know, from, from that back to kind of the hockey evaluation stuff. So very conscious of that. But um, Kyle W asks, which of the next three draft classes is the strongest and why? And how would you rank Bedard, Mitchkov, and Shane Wright? I am always a, a somebody who is not the most fun person to ask these kind of questions to because my answers are pretty consistent year over year, <laughs> is that I have no idea what next year's draft class looks like. And I definitely don't know what the draft class three years 
away looks like. I'm still trying to figure out this year's draft class. And last year's. <laughs> and I had one GM tell me, and I think it was accurate. If anybody tells you they know what the draft class two years out from now knows, it, it, you know, they know what how good it is, they're lying to you. <laughs> because it is, you have nowhere near enough information on some of these guys who actually didn't play much last season. You know, you had the Swedish Finnish juniors, the OHL, barely any WHL. There is no way to know what the draft class two, three years from now looks like. But there are some players that are so exceptional that they have risen onto the prospect radar into levels where they would be watched very often other more than others. And he he name-checked some of them in Shane Wright and Matvey Mishkov and Connor Bedard. Uh, we've mentioned that Wright's been off to a little bit of a slow start. But Connor Bedard's also been off to not like an amazing start. I think we I expected Regina to be a little bit more of a force. He's kind of hovering around a point per game. I think he's looked very good at some times when I've watched him. I also think he looks like a guy who is whatever, 5'9", 5'10", and not a super dynamic skater, which probably leads to some transition issues uh, for him. Uh, but I think his skill level, his hockey sense, his scoring ability are all exceptional. I think he's a great prospect. Uh, Mitchkov started the year in the KHL, had some good flashes, and then got sent down to the Junior League at one point um, where he's been scoring, as you expect. After dominant. Dominated, dominant. After, Two points yeah, per game yeah. in both leagues. <laughs> yes. Yeah, after, you know, um, he was you know so good there last year. You know, I think you expect him to be there, you know, be just as good this year. Um, so I don't really think you're, you're learning that much. Um, I, by two points a game in both leagues, I, you're referring to you know, SCA as kind of a weird organization in that they have two junior teams. Sorry, Russian, teams is what I meant, not yeah, leagues. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they have two junior teams in one junior league that belong to one organization, and he's played on both of them, and he's born, like I said, at two points a game level. Um, in terms of sizing those three up, you know, they're pretty close for me, to be quite honest, right now. I, I don't know if one has clearly separated. I, I'll be, Mishkov will play for the national team, the senior national team, next week, and I'll be curious to see how he does there. Uh, he is the oldest, um, not the oldest, he's a, he's a late, he's a late birthday. Um, so it's not a perfect analogy in terms of the age, where they are relative to their own draft class, that, that kind of thing. Um, but I'll be really curious to see how he does there, because if he goes to like a national team level and, and does well, I think that'd be a, a pretty positive indicator for him. Um, but I don't know if either of those three or Adam Fantilli for that matter, because I think he's also a guy I've heard from scouts who think he's right in the mix with Bedard and Mitchkov. I've even heard some argue he could be ahead of either of them. Um, I don't know if any of those four have separated themselves yet in terms of being like the guy of the next couple of years that that's going to, to transcend. Um, I think we're still kind of waiting for one of those four to, to, to break away in that sense. Does it mean anything to you when you look at the fact that, that Fantilli and Mitchkov were a couple of months, I think three months in Mitchkov's case, but only like one month in Fantilli's case from being eligible in this draft, kind of a, a Lafreniere dynamic versus like versus a Byfield who was very young. And I think Bedard's very young for his draft as well. No, it's a variable. Absolutely. And it's like, I kind of mentioned, I didn't really, el- didn't really say that eloquently when I was talking about Mitchkov. Um, it's something definitely to think about, and I think you can pick apart. Like you know, I'm, I hate to pick these part these elite players because I think they're all very special players. But I think Mitchkov has uh, some mild concerns on his on his speech, and I think Fantilli's guy, who I think started off really really well, thought his USHL Fall Classic was excellent, but I think he's tailed off a little bit since then. Didn't really love his game. I saw uh, last weekend, to be quite honest. Um, but it's only a month or so into the season for, for all these guys, and we'll kind of see how the, the next year or two years in some cases for these guys play out um, before before they're drafted. All right, next one is from David O, and I love this one. It's who's the next true power forward, the Brendan Shanahan type? Uh, maybe not necessarily in terms of fighting, but in terms of very – won't get pushed around, top-line skills – is there one to watch for in the league, or is this an obsolete type of player? He he says uh, he's not a fan of Brady and Matthew Kachuk, but he he's the type that he's thinking of that are already established. So, who are the next Kachuks, the next Shanahan's on the way? Yeah, I mean, I think Kachuk obviously is a guy that comes to mind right away, particularly Brady, given just his his, his size variable. But Matthew's obviously very good in that sense too. I think you know we mentioned Brady. I think you know, Ottawa was obviously hoping for that when they when they drafted Tyler Boucher. Yeah, 10th overall. Will he be that good? I'd probably say no, but he's a good player. 
Uh, the one guy that would come to mind for me, uh, he's injured right now, but I, but he's a, a top guy, I think, for the 23 draft is Charlie Stramel, um, who I thought was you know, good as an underage. I thought he got better as the year went along. I thought his World Junior camp was excellent for a guy who was two years removed from, from, from being draft eligible. I thought you saw this big, you know, powerful winger who uh, is a really pretty good skater. He, he, he showed the physicality. Um, you know, I was talking to his to the, to their coach Nightingale the other day. Uh, you know, he described him as a freak athlete, and you kind of see that in just how physically advanced he is already. I, I, I have, it's hard for U.S. players to know if they ever like the drop the gloves type because you, you can't do it at that level. <laughs> but uh, he is the guy that that comes to mind right away. I think you were at the you were you watched him at the camp there, right? Yes, I, I. I mean, I had my eyes were on a lot of different stuff. It was right after the draft, so I'm trying to get a look at, at the Red Wings prospects. But I did notice Straymull and, and obviously Logan Cooley. I thought to me was the standout of that tournament, and along with Jake Sanderson. But nonetheless, yes, I did see Charlie Straymull there. Yes, yeah, so, I mean he comes to mind. And, you know, there's some other guys. You know, I think like Cylinder and McTavish, both some fours that play hard. But in terms of guys who have, you know, abilities to be, you know, true top echelon guys in, in that respect. Uh, he's the one that comes to mind. And, and I don't want to write off like McTavish or Sillinger either. They're both excellent prospects who uh, have a high compete level and you know, could, you know, if their career, if their projections go well, maybe some improvements to the foot speed. Um, they they have the potential to be to really be really good and powerful forwards too in the National Hockey League. All right, this next one is, is kind of more uh, about the industry from Patrick Bruno. With the world getting closer to normal, do you see Fursi scouting changing to include more video live streaming and less travel game action? If so, aside from less jet lag, what are the positives? Assume, uh, I'm assuming here that he means like relative to what it was before the pandemic as the norm because obviously it's been a lot of live streaming and video over the last year and a half. I think the answer is yes, but I don't think it's going to be a quick snap. I think from what I've observed, if there was like kind of a pendulum and we'll, we'll, we'll say like – because I can't, you know, I can't show you it, but let's say, let's say, fifty percent was the amount of video scanning they were doing. It wasn't, but let's just say it was fifty percent pre pre pandemic, um, and, and that climbed up to ninety to a hundred, um, you know, d- during the the last year, year and a half. I would say, you know, as teams have gone back to live scouting, that number is maybe more at like sixty sixty five right now. And I think you're seeing a lot of teams kind of snap back to the way things were before before COVID. You're seeing a couple of teams, you know, trying to do a hybrid, and you're seeing maybe a couple more teams that are trying to be more video intensive. I think as technology continues to improve, as access to video and high quality video ends, and video that can be uh, spliced up into shift and all kinds of different kinds of event information becomes more accessible to more people. I think the prevalence of that is going to increase as people who come into hockey have those skills and have uh, are used to watching and evaluating players in that way. But I think this is a five to ten year trajectory. I don't think you're going to get a whole industry full of people who've done things one way for a very long time to dramatically change that, uh, even though even after the last two years. All right, and then I just want to end on this one really quick from Jeff H. Has Scott Perunovich done enough to deserve a crack at the Blues lineup? Watching the team, I feel like he should get a shot to prove he's deserving of a spot over Mikola and Bortuzzo. Plus, it seems like he's already head and shoulders above most guys his age in the AHL. What do you think about Scott Perunovich? Obviously, huge start in Springfield. Huge start, very good camp, I thought. I mean, we thought he was just awesome at Traverse Traverse City. City. Yeah, and um, you know the issue I think with him and the Blues is exactly where does he fit? Because he is the small defenseman, because his value is clearly on the power play. You know, does he? You know, when you have Tory Krug and you have Justin Falk, it's it's like where where does he fit? But I think he is such a he's playing so well, and this is not like he's a nineteen year old. I think he you know he obviously missed all of your last year due to an injury, maybe trying to give him some reps. But he's not a young that that young. I mean, he's still young, but he's not like a, like a nineteen twenty year old. He's think he's like twenty two, twenty three right now. Um, so I think you've got to find a way to get him some games. You know, yes, you might have a small defense lineup, and I know NHL coaches really don't like having more than one or two guys in their lineup who are like under six six one six two. Um, 
But I think in this case, you've got to find a way. Otherwise, you're not maximizing your assets um, because I think he can he can help the team. He might, he might create liabilities along the way, but I think the balances will balance out more in a positive way um, should he get regular ice time. I think you have to at least see how it looks with with all those guys in the lineup. I, I understand it too. Like if if I was a coach, I wouldn't want you know necessarily my entire team to kind of have a, a similar mold like that or, or even be split fifty fifty. But Tory Krug and Justin Falk aren't going anywhere. They're they're signed for right. like six years. You got to see how but, it looks. But they're winning too. That's the thing. Like they're they're winning right. Now. I think they're like six and one, five like something something along those lines. So I kind of coaches don't like shaking up lineups that are working. So I could definitely see if. You know they're going to lose games. Just you know they're not going to, you know they're not going to you know run the table the rest of the season. And the next two or three game losing streak that happens, that might be an opportunity there to to get creative and and, and give the lineup a different look. Yeah, you could wait until injury. You could wait until there's a couple losses. There, there's things you can do, but this is not a situation where you know he's blocked for like one year. They're just going to yeah, wait it out. He shouldn't be in the American League the rest of the season. But yeah. there there has to be a way to get him up. Yep, I would agree. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Uh, please also follow the Athletic Hockey Show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and a review if you're enjoying it. That really helps us out. Also want to give a shout-out to the other days of the podcast, Ian Mendez, Down Goes Brown, Haley Salvian, Sean Gentili, Craig Custance, and now the, the new uh, Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian episode of the podcast on Wednesdays. Make sure you're checking that out. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. You're going to start with a 30-day free trial, and it's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. So do that, and we'll talk to you next week.